are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. to have you once again with us and we're so excited to see how God's going to speak continuously to us um, as we've worshiped the Lord and as we're going to look to his word this morning. Thank you worship team for leading us uh, today and uh, into those that time that we get to have spending with him and we're going to be looking in the the book of Acts today in, ver- in chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 38. If you've been with us, we've been in a series uh, on the book of Acts, and I love uh, going through a book chapter by chapter simply because it, it makes you talk about things that sometimes can be easily missed or overlooked. How many understand that? Like, you can definitely miss some things that are very important, uh, and so what this does is it, it almost forces us to talk about things that maybe we know a whole lot about, or maybe we're uncomfortable to talk about. It can be a little difficult, but... The Bible talks about it, so how many know it's important to, to, to know and to talk about it as well? And so we're in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, talking about Jesus building his church. And so we've been looking at this. We've been, um, are just going to be reminded of how he, uh, or how we get to remember the life of Jesus in Acts, chapter 20, remembering the life of Jesus. Uh, this is going to be kind of an emotional passage of scripture for the church in Ephesus, which we'll talk a little bit about here in a moment. And as I was thinking about an introduction uh, for this, um, there's not really a greater introduction than the one that the Bible actually provides in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Because if you've known the Apostle Paul, um, in Acts chapter 9, his, his life is changed by Jesus and he totally transforms Paul or Saul's life. His name was formerly known as Saul. Uh, he'll eventually change his name to Paul. Jesus changes his life, and Paul is now going on this journey, starting new churches, preaching the name of Jesus in synagogues in the cities that he was traveling to. to. Uh, he's been in places like Thessalonica. He's been in places like Athens uh, and, and Corinth. And then we find him in Ephesus. Ephesus, if you read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, this gives you an inside scoop as to uh, what is happening in this church in Ephesus. And so it's such a, a, a powerful chapter, Acts chapter 20. Uh, and so we saw last week um, how, what was so important, because Paul is in uh, Ephesus uh, in Acts 19. He gets there, and he starts telling them about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this last week. Um, He talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Ephesians, once you get to chapter 6 of Ephesians, you'll hear Paul talk about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, principalities, and evil spirits of this dark world. So Paul is talking about something greater than we could possibly see, but we can see its effects. And it's, it's demonic activity, it's evil spirits. And like I said last week, evil spirits have not disappeared. 
they just get better at hiding. And so in Ephesians 6, we see Paul call this out, saying your battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul knew that the church in Ephesus is going to experience a whole lot of evil spirits. And he talks about it in Acts 19, how they had to confront some things that were just unreal um, demonic activity that was taking place. Um, And so Paul tells them, if you're going to combat this and you're going to live for Jesus in a place like Ephesus where it's, it's just, it can be overwhelming, you need to be filled with the Spirit especially. And so that's what he talks about in Acts 19. And then we see Paul traveling from place to place, revisiting a lot of places that he's already been to because he wants to equip them, encourage them, because Paul has a mission in mind that he's going back to Jerusalem. And this is not a good uh, time necessarily for Paul to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, at the end of this uh, story, we're going to see that this is Paul's farewell to the church in Ephesus because Paul knows he's not coming back and they're never going to see him again. And so this is a very, like I said, a very emotional scene that we'll be looking at uh, with the church in Ephesus. And we find out he actually doesn't go to Ephesus because for the sake of time, he's trying to get to Jerusalem by the time Pentecost comes. And so he actually goes to a port that's near Ephesus, but not in Ephesus, called Miletus, which is where the elders from Ephesus will come and and meet with him. These are leaders in the church in Ephesus, and so he's going to give them some instructions uh, to remember and how to live by it. And he's going to really pull this, not just, he's going to pull it from his own life, but it's really pointing to the life that he's observed with Jesus. And so what's incredible about this Acts chapter 20 is you got something that I hope I never, ever do, right? If you read at the, uh, in the, the beginning part of Acts chapter 20, about midway, you'll see Paul is teaching a play, at a place before he gets to Miletus called Troas. And he's, he's got a very small window of time to teach them some things. And so his final night, he's with them. He's, uh, he's teaching them. And it says he goes till midnight. How many of you better buckle up? We're going to be here for three hours, all right? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, and so he's preaching and teaching them till midnight, and they're about three stories up, and this guy named Eutychus is sitting in the window, and he starts to get tired, right? He starts to get sleepy, because his bedtime was 10 o'clock, and Paul's gone two hours over, right? It's like, come on, Paul, I got to get to bed. Eutychus falls asleep, and he falls out of the window. Okay, I hope to God I preach, and I never see that happen in my lifetime, Amen. He falls out of, the, out of the window. That's what I'm saying. The Bible can do the introduction for me. This is great. And he actually, they go and, and pick him up and he's dead. And so if you're Paul, your heart is sinking. And how do you explain that to churches in the years and the weeks to come? It's like, oh yeah, Paul, you started a lot of churches. Aren't you also the guy that preached somebody literally to death? Like you, <laughs> like, can you just imagine that? Like, like I hope I never have that. Uh, as a part of my life. But Paul has that on his journey, right? It's incredible. And so Paul prays over the guy, and the guy is raised to life. And I can, I can just see a sigh of relief on Paul, like, huh. like if any moment, like I needed to see the power of the resurrection, it's right there because I don't want to have this hanging over my head forever. Oh, you're the guy that killed Eutychus because you're preaching, right? Um, no. So what's even, what's even more funny to me is that you would think that's a perfect moment to just end it, right? All right, everybody, Eutychus is alive. Let's go to bed. No, it says Paul preached until daylight. He thought this is a great time and moment to continue on and teach and teach and teach, right? One of these days, maybe we'll do an all-night teaching. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
who knows? But this is, <laughs> this is fascinating. And so finally we get to Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 17 through 38, where we're going to see Paul in Miletus. He's getting ready to uh, board a ship, and he's going to make his journey to Jerusalem. And he calls the church or the elders in Ephesus to come because he wants to leave them with some final thoughts uh, in these verses. And so he's going to point out three things, three examples that he's going to challenge them to live by because they've observed it from him. But Paul is, as you will see at the end of this story, Paul observes it from Jesus. And so this is really what he's trying to show them because that Paul, the only way Paul knew to follow Jesus is to literally model Jesus's life, is literally to model it. And, and so Paul has come to terms with three different things he wants to leave them. And the first one, we'll go through three really quick, and then we'll talk about them. The first one is serve the Lord in humility. The second one is stand firm in the faith. And the third one is to live a life of generosity. He's observed these three things about Jesus, and he's going to tell them specifically the importance of all three of those principles to live by. And so as we read this, we'll start in verse 17, and we'll go... Uh, to about the verse 21, and then we'll talk about the second part of this. But in verse 17, it says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. These are some, we'll stop right there for right now, but this is our first point, serve the Lord in humility. Everybody say humility. If you're watching online, uh, please put that in the comments for us as you're part of your participation today. It's interesting, Paul says with great humility, with great humility, which is an extra emphasis as we see in that that phrase, great humility. He doesn't say humility. He says great humility because he saw a life Jesus lived that just wasn't humble. It was great. It was different. Jesus was born in a manger, not on a throne. He identified, in other words, here we go. We got three little subpoints, I guess you could say, underneath this. How did Paul live in great humility? Well, he observes the life of Jesus, and this is what he saw with Jesus. And so he, that's the best way he knew how to follow Jesus is that he identified with people. He identified with people. That's what verses 18 through 19 tell us. He identifies himself with people. In other words, Jesus and even Paul would not elevate himself above other people to look down on them. Remember, Jesus came to this world to say, I did not come to be served. I came to serve you. Jesus flipped the script. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to identify with you. In fact, Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth. And you know the reputation of Nazareth was a phrase people would say when they encountered somebody from Nazareth. They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was the catchphrase of that town. How many know if somebody says that about your town, you're going to have, you know, lightning and thunder ready for them, right? You're like, you, don't, you, you don't talk bad about my town. I can talk bad and trash about my town, but you don't especially talk about my town. I mean, that was literally the lowest of the low, and Jesus grows up there. Jesus was willing to identify with people from all over, even the lowest of the low. Jesus walked among us. He walked, as it says, as a man. He humbled himself. He stepped out of heaven with all of his glory and, and walked among us because he came to show us what God's love is all about. 
The th- second thing, and Paul says this too, is that he, learned, he, te- he taught people what is helpful. He says, I, I, I will teach you what is helpful. In fact, he says, I know the kind of questions people are going to ask. Why? Because he teaches them publicly and he also teaches them from house to house. How many see that? He literally went from house to house because every house and every situation that is going on in that house is going to be different. How many understand that? People and what they're walking through, it's all different. Like we could be going through some of the same things, but most of the time we're going through some different things. And some of it's more severe than maybe somebody else's case. But how many know we're all walking through something? Paul says, I not only will teach from a stage, I will actually go house to house to teach you what is actually helpful for you. Because he cares about you specifically. Just like Jesus cares about you specifically. Jesus didn't look at a crowd and just look at it and say, wow, there's a bunch of, bunch of people here. No, Jesus was interested in the individual because they had a name and they had a story. And this is following the third, really the third subpoint of this, is that he was a witness to the gospel. Verse 21 talks about that. He says, I, I have been going to testify about what people need to do. They need to repent and they need to push their, put their faith in the Lord Jesus. It's the step of humility. It's not, I deserve salvation. It's understanding you don't deserve that. And yet, you will humble yourself to admit that fact. I don't deserve God's grace, and I don't deserve His mercy. But what's so amazing is God still offers it to all people. He still offers it. You don't deserve it, but He will offer it still to you. And this is such a, an amazing thing. This was the message He was being given. This is a general message for all people, all Christians are needing to speak out this message. He says, I am a witness. How many know when you're in a courtroom and there is a witness called to the stand, the witness has to talk, (laughs) has to talk, right? That doesn't do anything if a witness just sits on the stand and says absolutely nothing. It's crickets, right? Like, no, the witness is supposed to describe the events of what took place and they're making a case for what they've seen. They're trying to get accurate information about what took place and whatever specific thing that's happening witnessing involves communication. It involves speaking out. Because why? Because you have a message built inside of you that God wants out of you. He wants you to let it out. God has given you a message. He's given you, first of all, his gospel message, right? He's given you the message of Jesus, what he has done for us. He came to die on the cross for our sins and to give us new life. Give us new life. That's what he's given us, offers to us. But what we also need to understand is God has a has so much more in store for you. Because what Paul mentions here is that it also brought him to tears. What brought Paul to tears was several different things. The rejection of the gospel. People didn't want it. He, he understood that there were people distorting the gospel, which tore him apart, which would tear any, really should tear any Christian apart. When, when a gospel is being distorted because you're setting people up for something that's not reality. When somebody tells you that it almost portray this in a way where it's like, oh, following Jesus, everything's easy. Life just gets simple. <laughs> it's not simple. If it was so simple, everybody would be doing it. The fact of the matter is, it's, it can be very, there are wonderful, amazing moments. Don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of things that we walk through that are just flat out difficult. 
And that's why you need the Lord to walk with you. And that's why the comforting words of Jesus before he departed from this world, he said to his disciples, and know this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. It's so powerful. And then we read this in verses 22 through 24. He says, now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of his grace. Here's what I know. God has given us all a calling on our life. That can be very general in a sense. Where you and I have a message that God has given to us. Jesus has given his gospel, his, his good news. This is not old news. This is great news. It is nothing old. There is still lives being transformed to this day by this message. Very simple. Some people think it's just old stuff. No, it's not. You, you've, I mean, we can, I can start naming people off, especially even in this room where I've, got, I've seen God change their life. But I'm just, what I want to understand, what I want people to understand is there is a general call, but there's also a specific call. The specific call that God has placed in you, which means there's something that God is building inside of you and he's wanting it to come out because it's impactful. And guess what? The enemy is smart. He's been around for generations. He doesn't know everything, but he does know human behaviors. He does know when somebody, a believer especially, starts to pursue something of God, especially when they start pursuing the call of God. He doesn't know everything, but he, because God knows everything, first of all, God knows everything, but he does, the enemy does not. Satan does not know everything, but he does observe human behaviors which means he is going to literally throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink, just to make sure you don't pursue that specific call. He's going to make sure, to the best of his abilities, throw everything at you because he knows human behavior. And when he starts to see change, the gospel change, the life transformation playing out in your life, he's going to throw everything at you because he understands human behaviors. He has not change his his ideas and thoughts and the motivations and what he does he's the same he's always that way he he just knows human behaviors but greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world so in other words what he's afraid of once again said this last week and this is just a reminder the enemy is not afraid of you he's afraid of who's within you he's afraid of jesus so the more you pursue that call paul understood this hardships face me as I head to Jerusalem. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to play out. And just so you know, spoiler alert, hardships do come. He does face some unbelievable challenging things. But what does Paul say? He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go. Which means this, Paul, once again, had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go. He had to be filled constantly. He said that to the church in Ephesus. He said that at the very beginning, when, he, when he's there, he finds some, some people and he lets them know, you've got to be filled with the Spirit because what you're encountering in this, in this nation or in this world or in this community, you are going to need the power of God to flow in and out of you if you're going to do something for God. And so Paul understood that. Paul needed to be filled with the Spirit when he went to Ephesus. Paul knew that. Paul understands this, I am compelled by the Spirit, which means he needed to be filled with the Spirit in order to actually get to Jerusalem and face whatever awaits him. And people may not understand it all, but Paul knew when God was speaking. And Paul is going to follow up on this. So 
How does Paul do this? How, I mean, I like to know, like, if you know that's coming, why in the world would you go after that, right? It's like Paul's going after something here. What does Paul, what, what connection does he make? What the, what, how does he do this? How does he follow through with his obedience? Well, these are three things that you can quickly just, I mean, really, this will be applied to anybody, especially if you're pursuing a specific calling on, on your life, or you're not sure yet, but you want to develop it. I'm telling you, anybody can do this. If they put their heart and their mind and their soul to it, you can do this. Watch. This is what Paul realizes. This is a life of humility. He realizes, anybody notice? He said, my life is not my own. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. Now, that's not looking down on yourself. That's realizing what Jesus did. I mean, he deserves all the praise, glory, and honor. And so my life is in his hands. I give it all to Jesus. My life is not my own. In other words, Paul says that very clearly. The second thing he says is that his goal is to finish the race. Because how many know it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. Paul says, I want to finish this race. I want to finish it with full passion. That no matter how long I live in this life, I want to finish with passion. I don't want to just die away slowly and just like say, woe is me all the time. No, Paul says, I want to complete this task, this race, with absolute passion. I want to give it my all to the very end, in other words. This is such a a pivotal part. The third thing he says is, I want to complete the task Jesus had given him. So what was the task? Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul could never get over what happened in Acts chapter 9. That he was literally trying to stop the church of Jesus Christ to stop growing. And he was literally willing to arrest people and give authority to kill Christians. And somehow, some way, through the grace and mercy of God, Jesus comes to him and speaks to him and changes his life. Paul never got over that. That's what I'm saying. The story of the gospel never got old to him because it wasn't old news. It was the best news to him. And he wanted everybody in the world to hear about that. And it's so powerful. He never got over God's grace, which is why he even writes the book of Romans trying to describe it to the best of his abilities, what God's grace was all about. And how it just changed them. And it continuously changed them. So if you want to pursue that, you've got to come to the, to the understanding, my life is not my own. My goal is to finish this race well with absolute passion. If your passion is dead, ask God to awaken your passion. He will. The third thing is that he wanted to complete the tasks. Which means that they were going to be, yes, lifelong dreams, goals, vision, things that he had. But there were also specific things along the way that he wanted to complete because he understood that this was what he was called to do. And Paul needed the Spirit's power to do this. The second part of this is he wanted them to understand that they need to stand firm in their faith. Everybody say firm. Here's what's important as we look at this in verses 20 through 20, uh, verses 25 through 31. It says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to complete or to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Everybody say whole. Whole, which means it's so vital that you find a community that talks about the whole will of God, that they do not back away from anything, especially when the Bible addresses it. Because you can get bits and pieces of information, and you also can read it for yourself, but you can often get bits and pieces of information 
But you don't get the whole context and you don't get everything. Something is left out because they don't want to address it. They're, whatever the case may be. It's so important. And I'm not bashing any churches across the nation. That's not what I'm doing. I'm simply here to tell you that there is a whole will of God out there that you and I have continuously, we continuously get to discover. Here's a couple of things that I can just simply give you that's the whole will of God. You ready? One of them is simply this. The Bible says this very clearly, that God desires for all to experience his salvation. How many know all means 100%? Not 99%. Not a certain type of people. Not what they, not just whatever, they, if they agree with the Bible or not. No, 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 no. The Bible says God desires for all to be saved. All means everybody. Don't put some people group or some person's belief system outside of that because that is unbiblical. God desires for all to be saved. He loves everybody. Very important. Second thing that we can look at and say, okay, it's the whole will of God, is very simple. What we've been talking about, Jesus commands that we are to be water baptized in his name. We are to be fully immersed in water. Why? Because when you make a decision in Jesus' name, he does something on the inside of you. And so what, that needs, what needs to happen is something needs to come out of you. You need to publicly declare what has happened on the inside. That is what water baptism does. It is, the, it is the old life is gone, fully immersed in water, come out of the water, a new life is beginning. It is simply telling people of the change that took place in your life, of the decision you made to follow Jesus, and you want the whole world to know, even the people that don't even believe in him, you want them all to know. Because this is not a private matter. This is public. Jesus didn't die on the cross privately. He died publicly on a road where people walked by and they spit at him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus died publicly. And so it is so critical that you and I get water baptized. The third thing that we can obviously see from last week is that God desires for every single believer to be filled with his spirit. He desires that to be... And this is what was happening in Ephesus. He, he approached, Paul comes to these guys in Ephesus, and he says, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they say, we didn't even know about this thing. Which means they, they what, I, what I said last week was simply this. They were disciples of John the Baptist who proclaimed the way of the Lord. John the Baptist would understand that there is such a thing called the Holy Spirit. He's very well aware. John the Baptist knew that. His disciples would know that. What they are simply saying to Paul is, I didn't know that it was obtainable for me. They didn't know that they could experience this because all they knew was that this was for specific leaders and certain prophets in the Old Testament. That's all they knew. And so Paul comes to them and says, no, 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 no. It's actually for everybody. Everybody. So how many know that is the whole will of God? everybody, right? And that's such a, those are three, and I mean, there's plenty more, but that's just for the sake of time, some themes that have been coming out in Acts I wanted to give. Verses 28 through 31, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, he's speaking to leaders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Watch this, even from your own number, Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So what is he telling leaders to do? He's telling leaders, especially Christian leaders, he's, he's telling them, you need to keep watch over your own life. You need to grow. You need to develop. 
George Barna, a, a, a statistician for the Christian faith, came out with this, that 42% of all pastors in full-time ministry are considering leaving the full-time ministry. Not leaving churches, leaving completely. They are done. I am telling you, the church leadership across the nation is under spiritual attack. When that comes out, that means the church needs to rise up and pray for their pastors. Because there's an enemy. If he wants to get to the flock, he gets to the shepherd. That's what he wants to do. And so I, I ask for your prayers, and I know our staff asks for your prayers. I know Pastor Paul asks for your prayers, but there are pastors literally all over the country who need our prayers. Because if that comes true, we are in a heap of trouble. We need more men and women to rise up to pursue that full-time ministry calling on their life and to pursue it with everything within them. Because the Lord is on our side. This is so critical to, for us to understand that. And so he says, keep watch over yourselves. But then he says, keep watch over the flock, those who belong to the church, which means they are to defend and steward believers in the faith. And I'm going to use this example because he has this word. He talks about sheep. He talks about shepherds. But then he talks about savage wolves. It's like, wait a minute. Sheep, shepherds, I get. That mixes. Savage wolves. What is that coming from? This can be a spirit. This can also be a person. Because remember, he says, even from your own number, savage wolves can rise. And if they're not dealt with, it can be catastrophic to that local church. And I have something to illustrate this very quickly, if they can bring that up. Um, don't tell my son I took his sheep from his room. So, <laughs> um, so and then this is simply a plastic, uh, you know, one of these wonderful staff things that they use as far as a shepherd's hook, right? They like the hook. Um, I'm sure theirs was not plastic. I'm sure it had like spikes and flamethrower coming out of that thing, right? That's what I would have done with mine, all right? Um, I don't know how they did theirs, but um, anyway, it's beside the point. Okay, uh, so what, they're, what Paul is simply telling them, he says, hey, look, you guys need to keep watch over yourselves, but you also need to keep watch over the flock. Because what does a wolf do? What does a lion do? I mean, watch National Geographic. What do they do? They, when they want to attack and kill something, they wait patiently for the animal to separate from the herd. As soon as that happens, whether it's because there's an injury, what, because Christians feel pain too, I don't know if you know that, whether there's an injury, whether there's uh, physical health, emotional health, mental health, somebody's struggling, they can't, they, they can't take it anymore, they separate themselves from the flock, or because they're young, whatever the case may be, they, separate, they get separated from the flock and they're not paying attention, they get isolated from the community of faith, so quickly, that is when the wolf attacks. He comes because he's got you isolated from everybody else. And this was Paul's teaching moment to say, watch out for a savage wolf to come because what they're going to do is they're going to simply do this. One of the things he's going to do is that they're going to elevate themselves to look down on other people. And they're going to put weights on them. And they're not going to be able to live by it, but that's beside the point. They want everybody else to live by it right? And so this can develop within us. And Paul says, keep watch because you've got to keep that part of you in check. You've got to keep it in check. Because if you don't, if it's left unchecked, you can become a savage wolf. The other thing that the wolf is trying to do, especially in this context, 
is how many know he mentioned a shepherd? How many know he mentions a shepherd? So if I'm a wolf and I see the flock or I see one of the sheep get separated from the flock, how many know that's not my end game? I'm waiting patiently because why? There's a shepherd there. A shepherd can protect that sheep, correct? So it's more than just getting separated from the flock. The wolf has to realize, I've got to get this sheep separated from the shepherd. What is a shepherd? It's a leader, spiritual authority figure in your life. So what is he really after? He, he's, not, he's more than just, it's more than, well, I, I love the, the, the idea of this because Paul is drilling this down. Because the end game for the enemy is not for you to look at the community of faith as the enemy. It's actually to look at the leader as an enemy. As, man, I can't believe she did that or he did that. And, and what he's trying to do is get you away from not just the flock, but from any kind of spiritual authority figure in your life. Maybe Pastor Bobby, but people switch churches. Listen, this is why we're doing the care thing, because we, we want to check in with you. We want to make sure you're okay. We want to pray for you. We just want to laugh with you. We, want, we can cry with you. And if you decide to say, you know what, this is not my cup of tea. I, I want to go somewhere else. That's fine. Just be somewhere, because if he gets you separated from the flock and you have no spiritual authority figure in your life, watch out. The enemy's coming. And, it's, and, it, and he's very clear. You will be devoured. You will be devoured. It will destroy you. And he doesn't do it all at once because he's too smart. The enemy's smart. He does it little by little by little. He plants a thought in your mind. He gets you to believe a lie. And then he, got, he starts to have you view people as your enemy. Remember, Ephesians 6, my battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Bobby, does that mean I can't ask questions or have suggestions? No, you can have questions. You have some suggestions. Trust me, Jesus welcomes that. But here's the thing. is Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, before he gets put on the cross, his very last night, he prays for the church to have unity, which means not uniformity, where we all vote the same, and everybody's just, hey, woo-hoo, happy day, because we can have people vote all the same, and they can hate each other. But the, the, the issue Jesus was saying is at the end of the day that he can bring leaders in and he can bring leaders down. At the end of the day, what we have to understand is that there are going to be times and moments where all of us have to lay down our preferences. That's unity in the church. Is okay, let's find the common theme, common goal here. Let's be about the unity of the church, not the division of the church. So when you and I live this way, Paul says, you will be healthy because you're in the flock. You have spiritual authority in your life. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I got spiritual authority in my life. I have a lead pastor. I have district officials. And I have national officials overseeing me. Do you, see, do you get the picture? Our world evolves around the principles of the Bible more than they realize. Even CEOs of companies have boards. <laughs> we evolve around this biblical principle more than we realize in the world simply because if the CEO gets out of hand, the board comes in and they provide correction. Do you see the accountability process here? We all are at level ground when it comes to the cross. This is why Paul says, I serve the Lord in humility, and he's calling them to stand firm in the faith, because if they distort the truth, it will get ugly. It will get ugly. In fact, if you read the book of 1 Timothy, this is a, a correction stage in the book of 1 Timothy for the church specifically in Ephesus, because what Paul does is that he wipes all, all the authority in the sense of not killing them off, but um, he does have a record of doing killing people, I guess. But, um, but what he was simply saying 
was this, is that you all have got it all messed up right now. And so every person, they're, 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 the way they are, the, what, whatever positions they hold, gone. And I'm putting Timothy in charge to bring correction to the whole group. Because this has gotten out of control. And even Paul says, remember, for three years I warned you night and day with tears. Because I know what's coming. Even with Paul's stern warning with him, I'm, sh- I'm sure, with tears in his eyes, some of the message still didn't get through. Didn't get through. Because why? Because of a heart that became hard and the enemy that became so strategic at attacking. He didn't do it all at once. He did it little by little by little. And what they realized is when you give the devil an inch, he actually takes a mile. And you don't even know it. And so it's so important that Paul teaches them this. He says, stand firm in your faith so that a savage wolf does not destroy you. This is so critical to our faith in the Lord is that we learn, and let me tell you this, Paul does not take pleasure in any of this. He says, night and day I warned you with tears. Those tears, remember what those tears represented, was people rejecting the gospel, distorting the truth, leading people astray, the list goes on and on. That's what brought him to tears, the consequences of sin, but that's what brought him to tears. So, because why? Paul was once a wolf. Remember Acts chapter 9? Paul had compassion for the wolf. Why? Because Jesus said this, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus loved those who loved him back, loved those who literally wanted to kill him. The Bible says, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So important that Paul observed that, and now he's living this out, because he was once a wolf. And somehow, someway, through the grace of God, God forgave him. God gave him grace, God gave him mercy, and changed his life. So Paul knows what it's like to be a shepherd. He knows what it's like to be a part of a flock, a community of believers. And he also, he also knows his former life was being a wolf. He didn't like that about himself, but he was appreciative of the fact that God was gracious and merciful. Turn to the third point, and I'll close with this, is to live a generous life. Everybody say generous. Verse 32, we'll, we'll end with this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. What I love about this really quick is that regardless of how it goes, regardless of who is a sheep, who's a wolf, blah, 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 you know, that's not Paul's point. What Paul is saying simply is this, is that he's going to commit all of these people to the Lord, including those who would rise up and try to destroy some things. But he says, I commit them all to the Lord because he observed that about Jesus when he, on his last night before Jesus was put on a cross, Jesus says, these disciples, God the Father, you gave them to me. Which means they all belong to you, God. Every single person across this planet belongs to him because he's the creator, he's the designer. They all belong to God. So he gives that to them or to the Lord. He says, I commit these people to you because they're not mine. They're not mine. My family's not my own. They belong to you. Whatever way they decide to go, I don't know, but they belong to you, Jesus. Because you gave them to me. And this is also what he says. And I commit them to the gospel, of, to the word of his grace. 
which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. Here's where he got his example from. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. What so, as I mention these, these things here at the, uh, with these passages, this last part of this passage before he departs, what I want us to pull out of here simply is this, is that Paul went above and beyond what was expected. <laughs> Do you see what he did? He says, I'm remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you see who Paul provided for? Paul preached the gospel he then worked, but he didn't just provide for the needs of himself. He provided for the needs of other people that were with him, his companions, he says. He went above and beyond. He didn't have to do that, but he saw what Jesus did. He said, I've seen this example because he's, he's given more than I could ever ask, imagine, or think. He's done more than I could ever repay him back for. Oh, that is, that is what Paul was wanting to get across about God's grace. He was just simply saying to this, no matter how hard I try, I can never repay God back for what he's done for me ever. Never, ever. I can never do this. So all I know to do is to follow the example of Jesus so that he says, with my hands, because I imagine when he's talking about work, he's talking about his hands. When we realize that work can be a part of our worship towards God, it changes a lot of stuff in the way we view things. Do you know in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was there, God gave Adam an actual job? God gave Adam a job before sin even entered the world. So before you think work is sinful, (laughs) I'm here to tell you, the very beginning of time, God gives Adam a job. Amen? That's so beautiful. And yet, what we see take place in this passage of Scripture is that Paul says, you know what, God, I can never, ever, ever, ever repay you for what you've done. But I know what I can do. And in fact, he says this in Romans, "My, my body is a living sacrifice. My body is a living sacrifice. You can have all of it. And even though I can never repay you for your grace and for your mercy, what I know I can do is I can, I can use these hands to work and provide for the needs of my companions. I can give and I can open up my hands and I can open it up and be so generous towards people and go above and beyond what people expect of me. And I can be so generous and I'm not going to live my life with a closed hand and a closed fist. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to give amount of time. I'm going to give my resources. I'm going to do whatever I can. I can use these hands, God, to pray over people for them to be healed. I can use these hands, God, to simply pray for a miracle. I can pray for their healing using my hands, God. If you fill me, the power of God will not only flow in me, it will flow through me, and you will use my hands. Remember what happened in in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus? God, you can use these hands that I literally can place it on their forehead and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow in them, and boom, it happens. I don't know how it happens, but God, if you can use my hands, do it. If you can use my feet to walk to somebody that no one else is talking to, no one else is communicating with, no one else is sharing the gospel with, use my feet to go. God, if no one else sees the brokenness that I do with my own eyes, God, let me see it and let me respond with my feet. Do you understand now the principle that my body is literally a living sacrifice? That is Paul's message. He says, because I've seen the generosity of God poured out on me so much, There's nothing I can do to repay him back. 
But what I can simply do is, God, I give you literally everything and I can use my hands to praise your name and I can, I can do that for you, God. I can definitely do that for you. God, I can use my mouth to speak blessing into people's life and not cursing into their life. God, if that's what you desire for me to do and that's what I will do, I will speak blessing, not cursing. I will do that because that is what you did for me. Thank God that you didn't give me, Lord, what I deserve. But you gave me something that I can never repay you back for. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is the life of Jesus and what he gives to each and every one of us. When we step in it, when we live it, the power of God, the power of his word comes into existence. And we see his words were very, very true. And they still are today. And I love what they did at the very end. I have the worship team come. I love what they did at the very end. It says they knelt down to pray. Which literally means this, they lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. Again. They didn't just do it one time, but they did it again. I lay it down. So this is what it tells me. That even when it hurts, even when I experience pain, even when I don't understand, even when I continuously struggle, even when my health fails me, even when I I can't get past my doubts, my fears, my stress, my anxiety. When I can't get past it, I will still kneel and lay it down at Jesus' feet and pray because it's the only thing I know to do. I can never repay you, God. I can't. But I will give you my absolute best in worship. I will give it all. This is what they came to do. I was reminded of a song that Brandon Lake wrote by, it's called Gratitude. And what he says in there really speaks to this. He's, it says this, So come on, my soul. He's motivating himself, like the psalmist said. Soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. He says, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. It means I'm going to speak for the goodness of God. That I'm not going to get shy, I'm going to speak. I'm going to open up my mouth because the message that's within me, this is what he says in that lyric. Lift up your song because you've got a lion living inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. What a beautiful example. Come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. The enemy fears who is within you. Plain and simple. And what he's worried about more than anything is you vocalizing it. What he's worried more than anything is you speaking to people about God and about who he is and about what he's come to do for you and for me. This is the beautiful message, the mission that Paul is calling himself to and to those in Ephesus, these leaders. And yet they understood that this was the final moments Paul would ever see them again. But they knew there's going to be an incredible reunion in heaven when they get to be together again. And it's going to be one big massive party of celebrating because they get to celebrate what God has done. But now they officially get to see everything that God is going to do in the future because they're with him forever. And everything makes sense now. This was the message Paul tells them to live. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing because there's nothing I can do to pay him back. 
but I am so thankful for the grace and mercy of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. If you're here today and you have not experienced the salvation through Jesus Christ today, we'll have a moment and opportunity for you to do that. If you'd like to receive, we'll give you an opportunity at the end of service today. But even in your own heart this morning, if you want to do that, just simply repeat a phrase like this after me and you can say it quietly, whatever you desire to do. Just say, Lord, here I am. I give myself to you. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me and come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. The Bible says he will respond to that. And you can come forward at the end of service today. We'll pray for you. At this time, we're going to get ready to jump into communion. This is something Jesus told us to do this. It's a perfect example of remembering him by. If you do not have a communion element, please uh, raise your hand. We have ushers coming down the aisles here to give that to you. If you did not get one, they will get to you as soon as possible. Thank you so much. And then I'm going to read a scripture talking about this in 1 Corinthians when Paul writes to the church in Corinth and we'll take communion together. We want to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to get that. If you haven't got it, keep your hand raised so they see you. And when you get that, go ahead and peel off that first layer. It's the, uh, what symbolizes the bread. And this is what Paul writes in Acts, or in, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what also was passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and said, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to pray over this, and we'll take it together as a church. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Lord, you walked through life, Lord. You identified with us. You, you helped us, Lord. You were a teacher to us, God. You showed us how to live a generous life. Lord, you went above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine or think that you would do, and you did it for us. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we take this as a reminder and thank you for your brokenness so that we could be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread together. And you can peel back that second layer, which is the cup. And I'll read the scripture this morning. It says this, in the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to pray over this, and we'll take it together as a church. Lord, we are so thankful for the blood that was shed on the cross. Lord, the Bible says the penalty of sin is death. But Lord, we realize that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you that we can offer our lives to you as a living sacrifice because of what you've done for us. We can never repay you for what you've done. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to grow into who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take this together. Let me um, pray for you this morning as we're dismissed. If you would like to receive prayer. Uh, You can come up here afterwards, especially we'll pray for you. But let me pray a prayer of blessing over everybody before they're uh, dismissed this morning. Lord, we thank you for the life you've lived. Lord, we thank you for the example you laid out for us. Lord, I pray that we would continuously serve you in humility. Lord, we would stand firm in our faith, guard our hearts, our minds, our souls from the things of the enemy. And Lord, help us to live a life that's generous. Lord, because you gave it all for us, there's nothing we could do to pay you back. But Lord, we're so thankful for the grace and mercy that has changed us and will continue to change us. Lord, use our mouth this week to bless somebody. Use our mouth this week 
to share your word, your gospel with people. Lord, help us not to put pressure on ourselves, but Lord, to trust you with what you want us to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.